0: Talking rugby, telling stories, rugby pickup. Welcome to Rugby Pickup. Who cares? Who knows? Why bother? Welcome back to Rugby Pickup. We are here with a very, very special guest, a good mate of mine who I've gotten to know over the past couple of weeks. You can hear the ambulances in the background. We're here in the heart of the Glendale Municipality, Matt Johnston from World Rugby. Maddie, appreciate you having me on. Good night,
1: mate, so you Absolute pleasure, Matt.
0: No, it's been good. We are two strangers that just kind of got thrown into the same world the past couple weeks with the USA Pathways program. I'm just glad to have a chance to chat with you today, to take a bright rugby mind like yours and give the audience some exposure. So we're gonna chat a bit about what USA Rugby and even World Rugby does to execute a big pathway program. The life as an analyst and a coder, which I see flogging away day after day, just watching rugby, putting in the numbers, making sure that we could read it the right way. And then we'll transition to some of the bigger World Rugby topics we got going on right now. But first off, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it mate. It's been a a good few weeks and uh, it's just, reinforced
1: how small world rugby is when you um, start talking about oh, seven degrees of separation in the real world. And there's about one degree in rugby.
0: So oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah a mate. I was a mate. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's worked with each other in some capacity. No, that's it. But I mean, at this point, the audience should know you have been managing this USA Pathways team. But before we get to the actual execution of the camp, how does World Rugby think about creating the idea of what a pathway should look like, mapping it all out? Scouting the kids and finally pulling them into a camp. Like, how does that process start, and are there specific countries? Obviously, that world rugby is looking to target. Obviously, USA is one of them. I'm happy about that. But how, how do those big big macro ideas start, and how are they eventually executed?
1: Yeah, it's it's a really interesting challenge because there's a, there's a couple of fronts about growing the game. So obviously, you, you want to grow um, participation and awareness of rugby and enjoyment and Um, A lifelong participation in the game, whether that's as a player or a match official, a coach or or a supporter. But then there's also the high performance arm of the game and making the game um, more competitive globally as well. So when you identify new markets that have the potential uh, in a sporting aspect, obviously the US major, major sporting environment that everyone knows and, and some fantastic athletes um, off the back of the Olympics, you know, it's always, um, from an Australian, we're always comparing us, uh, ourselves against the U S in the middle count. And
0: well, you take your a- swimming carnival seriously. You yeah. to school back there. I'm like, what the hell is this? Absolutely. Everybody gets right. yanked out of school to go race at the pool all day. Yeah, absolutely. So when
1: you, when you come into a market that has so many different sports and you see the potential for something like rugby, I mean, it's, it's really competitive back home, but back here, um, you know, breaking into it as well. So you want to ensure that you've got a big enough reach so that the population has access to a program. But also discovering markets where there may be athletes who, who haven't quite um, made it in other sports who can cross over. And we do we do a lot of crossover programs back home with the Australian Institute of Sport anyway. Um, so US is obviously a, a major market to crack. There's so much potential and we've seen that on the 7s as well with Uh, Unfortunately, not the results in this last Olympics, but um, a second place finish in the World Series just a couple of years ago for the men. So the US is a major market that they've looked at, but then also the untapped resources in in the Pacific Islands where they've held um, combines before in South America, um, and then, you know, potentially growth through Asia. The success of World Cup in Japan, China at the Olympics, India is a growing region too, so there's this whole global scope of how the sport can grow, but then when you get into the nitty-gritty of how can you make it happen. And that's where borrowing the ideas of the combines from the US sports um, has really proved quite fruitful. So there's been a couple of combines in the Pacific Islands where players have gone on to get contracted. There's been a couple of combines up here in North America now and I believe one in South America too. So getting, getting that stage right, even just getting it into the right locations but then ensuring that the right players or right kids or right people can come along and actually access those combine days uh, can be quite challenging. Anyway. Right, affordability is a big thing Absolutely. Right. Yeah.
0: So from an operations standpoint it's use a day, a weekend, whatever to get all the players in one spot, all of the coaches and the people making the hiring decisions and just have this massive interaction. Yeah. How do you execute those? Where do you do them? When do you do them to have really high success rates? That's the hard part, right? Figuring out on this global calendar what the perfect day is. There's probably never a perfect day, but that's step one, right? You get together, you're at least able to get this snapshot of who's where. This word pathway, right? It's more of a long-term thing and a long drip. What makes a 10-week program, a live-in program, like the next step? Obviously, we're, we're taking steps toward professionalism, and most professional seasons run 20 to 25 weeks. So after you do your regional scouting, what's the next step? Do you guys just like dive through all the film that day, coaches talk with each other, basically rank out the players and, and go nuts as far as who wants to sign who? I mean, yeah, essentially I think that the biggest first step that
1: almost makes or breaks it is selecting the right people initially to run the program the right people to to identify the players to to um move into that pathway and understanding what the next step is so for something like this uh you know a bare minimum is, is hoping that everyone who who participates in this program plays major league rugby in the next year or two and goes further beyond that short-term goal. So um, when you're actually running those combines, it's, a, it's an understanding of what's required to get to the next level. So there's some, some base uh, physical characteristics or base, base skills that you want to, but then you're also looking for a little bit of that diamond in the rough as well. Someone who, who has something, a bit of...
0: Um, flair.
1: Yeah, a bit of flair, a bit of difference, a weapon of theirs, that no one else has or very few have that they can translate into the next level too so
0: x-factor yeah, yeah something yeah. that's different absolutely um, whether it's size speed the compactness in which people run yeah or just length a lot too yeah. uh, really works out in, in the second row yeah i've seen rugby and football always constantly blended to some extent over here in the u.s and, and we ask that question is it just good enough to look at people's measurables yeah. You know, how fast are you? How tall do you jump? What can you bench press? Or do we have to mix it with what is your rugby like? And I think these pathway programs, we're getting people that already have the rugby uh, foundation. At yeah. least. And, and hopefully, as the US progresses and we have programs like this longer, where kids who have been playing since six, seven, eight are stepping into a professional environment, yeah. that seems to me the bigger the player pool gets there. The more success the U.S. has, the more success world rugby, etc. Right? You, you fill out your your pipeline or your pathway.
1: No, it's the old um, build the base of the pyramid. The bigger the base, the more people are hopefully reaching that apex. It's it's always and this is where an analysis is interesting too because the numbers can be an accelerant, but they're never the steering wheel of what you're doing. So there's always it's the implication of what the numbers are saying. Or if a bloke is got a, you know, four second, 40 yard dash, but it's only straight line and it has no change of direction or, or what's his footy speed in, in a game. So they're the things that you're always after. So yeah. that, that band testing is interesting, but it doesn't necessarily always translate as well.
0: Yeah. And we'll get to this when we talk coding, but yeah. it's, it's like, you can't just look at the raw numbers. You got to interpret them and make sense of them yeah. um, and then use a bit of that gut reaction on I know talent when I see it yeah and kind of mix and mold that absolutely yeah it's
1: uh it's a funny balance of avoiding confirmation bias but but having evidence
0: to your decisions as well yeah but no it's been great man every morning I get to pick your brain and, and ask you these big level world rugby questions because at the end of the day right you are this big organizing body that's supposed to look at these macro topics and say how can we accelerate certain initiatives and i'm sure somewhere there's a document that lays out all your core values and your plan and what you're trying to do in the moment on a smaller level this pathways camp where you probably travel all over the world and you've done millions of camps like these this is my first snapshot of it and it's just really cool to see on a really micro level where we are diving into the nitty-gritty with a lot of these kids showing them Bare bones professionalism. Here's how things are done: scheduling out their day, and it's been eye opening to me. I yeah. really, I really appreciate all the banter. To be honest, yeah. I, I think uh,
1: from from my experience, when you have new players come into a program that's that's uh, moving towards professional professionalism, it's all the off the field stuff. Like everyone everyone knows footy. They know training. Uh, they know the game to an extent, but it's the recovery, it's the preparations, the nutrition, it's the sleep hygiene, it's getting yourself ready and up and, and to go the next day, so this is where that sort of 10-week camp is, is a really great
0: eye-opener and a test for the players because they are living it yeah. day-to-day for this period. And, and you can fake it for a weekend, yeah. <laughs> right, Absolutely. you get called into the town ID camp, sweet, I'll run fast tomorrow, I'll say, yes sir, no thank you. Right, but the ten weeks there's nowhere to hide. Right, no. you got to be a part of the culture every single day. Absolutely, yeah. and
1: get to week six or week seven, and you're waking up and you saw, uh, and you've got to go out again for a seven a.m. training session on field. Yeah, uh, you can. <laughs> so you can work it out as well. Who's yeah. actually smiling? Going onto the paddock, or who's who's half asleep?
0: Glendale's been popping since you got here, right? You, you got here before the, the Uruguay test. Yeah. Um, so we had those two, the Eagles in and out, Uruguay in and out. We're sharing the field with the American Raptors. Uh, what have you made of it? Like, uh, the, the turf pitch certainly gets yeah. its worth here.
1: <laughs> it does. It's an amazing facility. I was lucky enough to be here in 2019 for the Glendale Sevens, um, which was, uh, a, a fantastic event too. And, and to have a facility, um, and, and the, the extra bits like the gym, the recovery centre, the meeting rooms, um, but the field itself, it's just such a kick to walk well, or to walk out from where we are across the road onto the training paddock, but then to see uh, all the community events happening around it too. So we've got, yeah, international teams here in training, and then you've got people playing, you know, pick up soccer or football on there too. is just amazing. So it's a,
0: yeah, a fantastic venue in a, in a, Pretty amazing city. Yeah, also. Town park, but also like staple of rugby here. Yeah. here. Yeah. Glendale, just, Colorado.
1: Yeah. Great to see, you. great to see footy posts yeah. on a park. We don't <laughs> get to see them too often yeah. um, in, in the U S so it's,
0: it's great. We've talked a bit about the turf and the leggings ruling that just came out. Um, I personally understand why people opt for turf pitches. They cost less money. They're easier to maintain. They're super dependable. Now, I think World Rugby is right to just say, hey, listen, it's a player safety thing. We really don't care what you wear. And if you want to protect your skin, you have the right to. Because uh, I certainly would cover every inch of my body when I train here. Um, but, you know, nobody's getting super slick tights to try and make it harder to attack. And I really don't think that's the intent here. It's to save your skin. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um,
1: player fit is certainly the heart of every every decision that world we'll rugby trying to make. So to, to just protect from a few of those grazes is, is pretty key. So as you say, no one's out there wearing uh, super slippery
0: yeah. skins to try and avoid tackles. We're not or, oiling up bad. before the game. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's been good, mate. And another thing you've showed me is this, this analysis side, right, is what is it like to code rugby and and the the work that goes behind the computer screen, even after training, Uh, because part of that professionalism is is providing that tape to the players so they can review. So first off, thank you for teaching me how to fly the drone. (laughs) My video instincts kicked in eventually, but I feel like a Spielberg now up there, Um, getting the wide angle, whatever you need. But tell our listening audience to any of these young players out here who might have a little bit of computer coding skill, what is it like being an analyst for a professional team or for a test <coughs> rugby team? Yeah, to be honest, it's, it's one of the best seats
1: in the house. So I got into analysis to help my coaching, basically. So I figured the best way to improve was to learn from other coaches and look at what they looked at and see what they see. Uh, and the best way to do that was to, to get into analysis, to start filming for them, to sit in on their review meetings, to see the clips that they were pulling out and highlighting. And it's, um, it's essentially essentially another form of literacy, basically. So you, you're you teaching you're teaching players how to read the game, um, how to recognize patterns pitches and pitches, and to learn from that to take into the, to the next game. And I, and I think um, uh, Wisey, Scott Wise, mentor, who is a, a coach who's been involved in, in some of these programs in the past as well, said it best too in, in that you're, you're really after an implication of your analysis. It's one thing to create stats and numbers, but if they don't have an implication for your training or create like a, a coaching intervention or something for, for going forward, then it's a little bit useless. So, and Eddie Jones is a, is a big one saying the coaching is the driver and the, the analysis is just the accelerator. So you're finding little areas where you can tweak your game and push it forward. So, yeah. um, and, <laughs> and if you're if you can fix a printer or uh or turn on a laptop um and help a catch out when you're struggling you also
0: look like a genius so yeah it's an easy value add right yeah Yeah, it's it's a relatively new uh, skill in the rug world i'm saying in the past 10 years there's at the professional level some version of you know making video access easier but now there's some real high level algorithmic stuff where you know ideally and i asked the three of you guys who were out having drinks one night like ideally right you'd plug a game into a code and it could sort the whole thing for you and then you come back and just layer on another code on top but that doesn't quite exist yet right no
1: it's, it's it's getting there it's still um just a little bit too complex with uh, tracking players from, from Tackle to Ruck or Scrum, and working out who's who and where they're going. But uh, there's so many companies looking into it. Football uh, is almost the Everest in terms of the data that they produce and the, and the, um, the way it's coded um, with the AI as well that it's done for you. So it it's allows you to build some, some greater depth or some greater value into the analysis that you're doing. But at the moment you have to do all those little one percentage building blocks to build a picture to then do a deep dive into so it can take a take a wee while to get stuck in.
0: So I've heard your stats though. How long does it take you to code a sevens game? Uh about twenty minutes. Okay. Yeah. And a full fifteens? Two and a half to
1: three hours. Damn. And that's partially because my attention span is ranged yeah. from sevens. That's,
0: yeah, and and quite frankly, like You know, I can't just sit down and watch a full 15s game. I got to get up and go pee or something. (laughs) So I need a break as well. I can't imagine coding as well. You really do need to give yourself micro breaks to be effective. Otherwise, you just zone out on looking at the screen, right? No, absolutely. And just
1: to get a fresh fresh take on it sometimes. Or um, the beauty of what we do with World Rugby as well, when we code, there's sort of three or four different layers. So the shape of the game stuff to show... How the game is being played across the world and comparing from competitions or comparing a single competition across time. Uh, Then we've got the player welfare elements. So, uh, obviously, um, concussion is a a massive deal. So, so tracking those incidents in the game, working out commonalities, trying to find areas to make the game safer. Uh, Then we've got law trials, which again, player welfare driven, making sure that they're having the desired effect and no. Uh, unforeseen ramifications, so something like the fifty twenty two at the moment to see how it's um, adding to the spectacle, but not not uh, impacting upon safety. Yeah. Uh, and then the fourth one is sort of looking at match officials as well and trying to help them develop across the game. So it's it's quite an unique way to look at and probably a little bit different than what we would when we're working just with a single team and focused on on our game plan and helping our individuals. So that scope and that the broad nature of it, it's really quite interesting because you can pick up uh, small instances that come from some of those law trials or just how the game is being played uh, and you can pinch a few of those for your own coaching sometimes. Yeah,
0: right, like you get better by doing, so therefore if you sit through a bunch of games, you've kind of been there and learned from those games, yeah. even though you haven't put your boots <laughs> on and had a run, right? No, absolutely, and the
1: World Rugby Analysis Department code over two and a half thousand games of of rugby a year in 15 so um, most of the major international competitions uh, all of the test matches but then yeah all the the major domestic leagues from around the world are getting coded tracked and tagged every week to provide some comparisons
0: now is what Squidge is doing coding or is he just taking the piss
1: I think there's so many amazing analysts out there um, in that social media space educating people about the game. And essentially that's what analysis is, it's helping people to learn Uh, and that's a really interesting path that analysis is taking. So it's not just the sports science of numbers, it's now about teaching and learning and how you can effectively get your message across to change behaviour as well. So uh, I think, um, yeah, all, all those guys who are pointing out pitches in the game and Um, showing instances, are helping to educate the broader public and not just the rugby public as well.
0: Which is along the grow the game lines, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You need these average fans that just convert and like go and buy tickets and want to be part of it, but not necessarily a code head. Yeah, no, that's
1: it. You can get get quite quite nerdy uh, into it, But, but rugby is the game for all. So anything that we can do to help people understand it, appreciate it and, and um, just really delve deeper into what's happening on the paddock is, is pretty huge, Erica. I reckon. I,
0: I can't even keep up with Squidge. He's got too many <laughs> old callback jokes gone. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to code for people who want, you know, high level exposure to good rugby minds just hop in there and, and try and provide some value on that front even if it means just breaking down that really simple what happened on this play yeah you know this play was a carry for no gain it gets this mark right? yeah. like manual <clears throat> entry
1: yeah absolutely so you've got uh almost the action part of it so what happened and then the accuracy part so so how um how well did they do it And then you can start going into decision making and everything else and go down a real rabbit hole of of everything. But um, one of the things uh, that World Rugby, going back to those sort of pathways that we talked about earlier, um, pre-COVID, they would host an academy each year in Stellenbosch in South Africa for emerging unions. So it would be coaches, uh, it would be SNCs, physios, and they did an analyst Course. A summit, yeah, a summit. Essentially, yeah, just to bring people together to try and learn and, and share experiences. Uh, obviously, COVID hit and we couldn't do that in person, but it actually spawned this whole uh, virtual academy online, which was um, quite extraordinary. So, um, Thomas Salisbury from World Rugby, who's another analyst um, in the department with myself, we ran a six-week, six or eight-week program for analysts from emerging unions from around the world, which was great just talking footy please Um, tell me you didn't call it a boot camp no 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 no. but um, you know Jimmy Harrison who works for the US national team here is is one of the best going around with some of the stuff that he does and um, you're talking to to the Georgians and the Spanish and the Kenyans and um, Fijians all through the islands and uh, it was awesome but then that led on to uh, an academy for all the analysts and the MLR prior to this season, this last season kicking off. So it was tremendous just getting to know all those guys, share some ideas, um, talk about uh, best practice in terms of workflow, how you can make a difference, how you can build those relationships with your coaches and with your players. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was, a, it was an awesome experience that, that may not have come about without... COVID has these weird classics. Yeah, just yeah. now
0: you got an online community of people that are really passionate about that. Shout out to Nick Purvis, one of the hottest young MLR analyst minds out there uh, with OGDC. Uh, But yeah, I appreciate you giving us a look into that because I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to just call their own number and be like, listen, I may not be great with computers, but I can learn, teach me how. And I'm sure every coder has like a bunch of stuff they want to offload, right? That's probably too uh, beginner level for them to do anyhow.
1: Yeah, I think... uh, also, when you when you talk about when you get a little bit nerdy and talk about scripting and code windows or output windows and stuff, not many people created their own themselves. They're, they're all um, sort of variations of someone else's. So it's, it's a, a pretty open and sharing community too. So yeah, um, yeah, it's a great way to get involved to start looking at. Game a little bit differently. And, and no one's getting
0: right. the medal of I'm the best coder no. in the world, so no one's holding out. No, no. That's no. good. Yeah. Shout out to the analysts and coders out there. Um, we'll pivot back to World Rugby, right? I mean, at the end of the day, when, when you're as massive and getting on the level of things like FIFA, uh, people are going to come at you and be like, you know, you're this global entity. You got all the wrong thi-. When you try and steer the ship, a lot of people question the way you do it, Right. At the end of the day, the way I see it is, yeah, you got to act as some form of government, but you really just want to make sure we make good money in our World Cup years, we bring in revenue, and we redistribute it um, to the nations that need it. You've riffed off a couple right there that are, quote, tier two, that have the potential to jump. Spain, Fiji, Georgia, the US, again, don't yeah. say, sleeping <laughs> giant. We're sick of that here. I literally cringe every time someone does. U.S. and Canada are in a weird spot now, right? Expecting to just kind of roll over those South American teams and and they're not going to qualify. We still may. But back to what I was saying, how does World Rugby take that big revenue pull and create a plan to kind of plug it back into these nations? How do you pick what goes where? Yeah. Cause it's, it's a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> no pressure.
1: And, and thankfully, it's it's above my pay grade. Yeah, that's good. I so yeah. don't have to make um, make those decisions. But I think what world rugby does really well is they, or from from my experience, and I know this might not be everyone's, but they try and be collaborative. They try and work with their their partners. So it's all about you know a, a global game for all, basically. So um, <clears throat> this is where it's just. It's a shame for Canada in some ways to not go to the World Cup for the first time in its history. But how exciting for for Chile to be an opportunity where they can. Don't get me
0: wrong. I think adding more games and creating home and aways makes it a more level playing field. So I'm all for it. And if we have to lick our wounds and miss one, then we have to as well. Because the the old way was... A shorter playoff basically giving the advantage to North America over South America who by the way has way more countries than North America there's three in North America there's 13 I believe or 14 down there so it it should be a longer more drawn-out playoff and I've been on Wikipedia and I can see the weird like flow chart of what goes where but that's how it should be I'm kind of happy that some tier two nations are having more success Japan took the leap uh, we'll talk about Fiji in a minute, but yeah. they've had some big, massive wins against European countries in the past. In general, um, the upcoming move for you—you're international man of mystery, yeah. flying all around the world, going to sevens tournaments, this and that. But in the upcoming months, uh, you have an exciting stint now with Fiji Rugby Union, right, as their lead analyst. Yeah. Tell me a bit about this Northern European tour.
1: So, yeah. so my. Job title is Game Analyst International Seven. So, so, really lucky to travel the world, go to World Series events. And it just so happened that uh, after Vancouver and Edmonton, I couldn't go home easily, yeah. So, which led to this awesome opportunity. It's great, it's fun to Yeah, <laughs> uh, which has been superb. And then, um, <clears throat> luckily as well, uh, it also meant some openings. Fiji couldn't get their regular staff out of the Southern Hemisphere. <clears throat> I just happened to be on the road and uh, was available, so I'm um, very, very fortunate to, to try and help out the Fijians on their Northern Hemisphere tour, and there's a couple of staff there that I've worked with before, a couple of players um, that I've worked with too, so super excited for the opportunity. Um, they've got games against Spain, uh, Wales in Cardiff, and then Georgia, so Three big matches from, from really different standpoints, but the Fijian rugby culture is just Unreal.
0: something else. Yeah, if you go to any good sevens event, they come yeah. out the woodwork, oh, and they just scream the whole time. Yeah. They're on their feet, they're waving the flags, it's great. Yeah, and Unreal. depending,
1: <clears throat> depending uh, where you are in the world for the sevens tournaments, uh, and when we're generally always in the same hotel as each other, so. If you're on the floor closest to the Fijians or closest to the pool outside, you'll wake up in the morning, you'll hear them sing um, when they're doing their, their stretching and, and recovery together. So um, the off the field um, experience is going to be superb. One of the best mates back home in Brisbane is a, a Fijian fellow coaching at UQ and as soon as he found out he rang me at like 3 in the morning here. And, Part was about trying to get some free
0: kit as well. Yeah, so, you know, exactly. Oh, that that black and white is very fresh. Yeah, um, we'll definitely be pulling for the Flying Fijians uh, come November. I yeah, think. November November 6th,
1: I think. Okay, so game, we'll so try
0: and put this out before that, but you know, we'll get to it. Uh, that's right. Hopefully by that stage. Well, Maddie, the plan the is interview all the lads before yeah. they go home. You know, and yeah. then um, we'll just kind of put this pathways thing out in the world and hope that the fans enjoy it the exposure to it for anybody out there who's listening that wants to take a professional path in rugby it's available to you yeah. you know you may have to get on and, and do a couple calls and ask people to connect you but there's plenty of work out there to be done and yeah. you won't make a ton of money in, <laughs> in this life but you can you know serve the game grow the game coach manage analyze it
1: <laughs> now look it's there's
0: so many ways to get involved in this
1: game uh, and they're all meaningful and valuable, and, and this pathway in particular uh, is going to be so valuable moving forward. It's um, it's helping the game reach new areas of the country, exposing new players and new staff um, to some, some high-performance programs, so yeah really excited to see where we're going in the next couple
0: of years yeah it'll definitely pay dividends um, really excited for where some of these players are going to go because the sky's the limit yeah you know they know what they have to do now and now it's just up to them and i'm excited to see it but thank you so much to the international man of mystery <laughs> maddie johnston if you see him out in the seventh store say g'day yeah uh, appreciate it mate thank you, thank yeah. you. cheers pick them The life as an analyst. Build the base of the pyramid. The bigger the base,
1: the more people are hopefully reaching that apex. The numbers can be an accelerant, but they're never the steering wheel of what you're doing. And Eddie Jones is a a big one, saying the coaching is the driver, and the, the analysis is just
0: I really appreciate all the banter, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the recovery, it's the preparation,
1: it's the nutrition, it's the sleep hygiene, it's getting yourself ready and up to go the next day. So, so the shape of the game stuff to show how the game is being played across the world. And then we've got the player welfare elements, so, uh, then we've got law trials. The World Rugby Analysis Department coded over two and a half thousand games of rugby a year in 15, so... Yeah.
0: Shout out to the analysts coders out there. Serve the game, grow the game. Coach, manage, analyze it.
1: And essentially that's what analysis is. It's helping people to learn.